Happy New Year, Smart Community friends, and welcome back to the very first episode of the Smart Community Podcast for 2019. In this episode, the first for the new year, I had a great conversation with Pascal Perez. But just before we get into that, I wanted to give a quick shout out to my first patrons. As you might know, I have started a Patreon page over at patreon.com slash smartcompod with two M's. This is for fans of the podcast who want to support the show and get access to exclusive content. My first patrons are Nathaniel, Sarah, and Jay. A big thank you to them for helping keep this show in your podcatchers week after week. If you would like to join them and support the show, get your own shout out on air, then head over to patreon.com slash smartcompod. Okay, on with the episode. Pascal Perez is the director of the Smart Infrastructure Facility at the University of Wollongong. In this episode, he tells us about his background in agricultural and environmental engineering around the world and how he now applies this in an urban setting here in Australia. Pascal shares what sparked his interest in the smart community space and why we need to be thinking more about smart people rather than smart cities. We discuss the importance of needs-based or problem-orientated technology solutions, why regional areas are currently doing this better than the big cities in Australia, and the difference between a revolution and an epidemic when it comes to technology. Pascal then shares about some of the projects he's currently working on with the University of Wollongong and the Smart Infrastructure Facility and how he sees Australia embracing smart concepts and the problems in the current immature landscape of smart cities in Australia, including the lack of standardisation and a jungle rule approach. We finish off discussing the emerging trends of interoperability and security of sensors and IoT devices that make up our smart communities. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Pascal. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you. That's awesome to hear. Let's jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you are passionate about? A long time ago, I graduated as an engineer, but not a usual civil engineer or uh, electric engineer, but uh, in agriculture and environment. And for many, many years, I've been working around the world, uh, Africa and then Southeast Asia on farming and fishing issues. And only recently uh, in Australia was I asked to transfer this knowledge into infrastructure and urban development, which was a bit scary about first, but then I thought in a country where nearly 90% of the people live in cities, uh, this is probably a, a pretty big issue to tackle. Yeah, wow. So what sparked your interest in um, the smart city space? I think you would have to live uh, under a rock not to hear about smart cities uh, three times a day in Australia for the moment and the rest of the world. I was in Hong Kong, it's even worse. Uh, so first, as a good scientist, uh, I said, oh, what, what it is about? What's the definition of a smart city? And that's why it's becoming interesting because the word has been in, in use for nearly 15 years now and there's still no definition of a smart city. <laughs> With a couple of years behind, behind me now on, on this topic, uh, I think 
for me, smart cities have to be made or have to facilitate the, the fact that become, uh, people become smarter in cities. So for me, smart cities has to equate smart people. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I think you've kind of answered this already, but what is a smart city to you? Again, uh, by smart people, I mean the fact that not everybody has to have a uh, QI of, you know, just uh, some kind of Nobel Prize. No, it's the fact that a smart city should allow us as individuals or as groups to do better what we're usually doing, to do new things we're not aware of, uh, or to enjoy more uh, our life, whether it's in, in a city or in a suburb. So in a nutshell, that's it. Now, of course, many pseudo definitions you're going to hear about or read about always mention technology and smart sensing and smart monitoring. Uh, our group here at the Smart Infrastructure Facility really focus on the fact that these smart cities have to be technology enabled only and if needed, if required. You can be a smart city or let's say a smart town uh, at a small scale without having to rely heavily on technology. So that, that's the key pre aspect of our take on smart city. Mm, so more not technology for technology's sake per se, but uh, looking at the the town or the region or the community, seeing what they need and, and then going from there. Is that kind of how you picture it? Exactly. Need-based, problem-oriented, problem-focused and need-based. And this is where I think for the moment in Australia, uh, small cities, regional cities are doing probably far better with the concept of smart city and implementing things because they always start with their current problems uh, and they're very different. Uh, and from this problem-oriented uh, uh, vision, then in, in smart, uh, sorry, small cities or towns, it's easier for uh, govern, governing uh, agencies and, uh, to, and councils to interact with their communities. Uh, and from this strong basis, then you develop your solution or your set of solutions, some of them, including maybe technology. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm, I'm going to um, flip this next question then, because you're talking about smart regions, smart communities, which I love to talk about as well. So why do you think that this smart region, smart town, smart city, smart community, whatever term you want to use, why do you think it's so important? It's important each time, again, we, we, we try to improve our livability in cities, the health of the cities, but also the productivity of the city. So if, if new technologies can help to, to achieve better these goals, knowing that the population increases, density in cities increases, uh, it's all good. But back to the point, we always have to keep in mind why we're developing these new layers of technology in cities. Uh, as you mentioned, if it is technology for the sake of the technology, uh, I'm sorry, we're not talking about a revolution here. A revolution starts and ends with people. When there's only technology in the landscape, it's called an epidemic. It's not a revolution. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you talked a lot about um, working overseas, and I think let's come back to that. But how do you think Australia is currently embracing the smart city concept? Um, with enthusiasm, as anything that happens in Australia but also with a little bit of disjointed way. Um, and I think with, again, a, a very Australian way, a limited budget. So um, a bit disjointed, a bit underfunded, but with greater enthusiasm and, and great spirit. Mm. And you've done a little bit of traveling. 
Yeah, so I, I'm just I'm just I'm just back from Hong Kong, and it's mind blowing. To it's it's be, between uh, scary and totally exciting. Uh, when when we talk millions, they talk billions. Uh, when we talk a region, uh, for them a region is anything between Hong Kong, Shenzhen, uh, Guangzhou, and Macau. So something which has the GDP and and the population much much bigger than the whole Australia, and they're gonna invest billions of dollars in ITC technologies uh, in order to improve smart cities and smart infrastructure and smart industry in that region. Now, should we be just dropping our arms and say, well, you know, they're doing it better than us and bigger than us? No, uh, because they're going to do for themselves and not for, for us. So we'd better find our own solutions to our own problems, which means that we need to grow our own R&D. And being a bit more ambitious, at the same time, when I, I, I met a lot of colleagues um, in, in Hong Kong over the last week, um, they all mentioned to me that they're eager, um, they're hungry foreign expertise in teaching the young generation as quickly as possible the new tricks of the game. And that's where I think Australia has a key role to play. Mm, interesting. Do you have any other examples of, you know, smart implementation overseas that you've experienced? Uh, I, I think the one that everybody has heard about or read about, uh, it's Barcelona. Barcelona is supposed to be the smartest city in the world. Uh, next month, they will have the famous smart city expo or the biggest expo in the in the world probably and interestingly enough i think it was last year a, a, a local academic a spanish academic uh, published a paper that was some kind of review paper about the barcelona the smart city barcelona and the reason why it was created nearly 15 years ago and how it developed since and in a nutshell the the author was saying we missed something somewhere where First, the concept was created and sold by the governing authorities of Barcelona as a fantastic public relation process. So it, it was really a marketing thing first. And then they put their dollars where their mouth was and put a lot of toys and sensors all around the city and doing very interesting stuff. But at the same time, when uh, there were surveys of the population about how excited they were or a beneficiary they were of all these technologies there was a lot of confusion and question marks so that's why now there's there's a new movement in barcelona called reboot barcelona uh, because they figure out that they need to stop now or slow down re-engage with the population listen to the population and start developing solutions that really matter to the population Mm, yeah, bring it back to the people. Exactly. Mm, I plan to visit Barcelona next year, so I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you, you, that's going to be a treat, definitely. I, I love the city, Dis despite the smart or not city. It's a, it's a lovely city. Mm, yeah, I'm look, I'll be looking at smart mobility. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to that. As you can hear, I'm, I'm French, and uh, but my father was Spanish, so we, we spent uh, many uh, hol summer holidays in Barcelona or, or going through or trying to go through Barcelona. I can tell you that 30, 40 years ago, it was the worst city in Europe to travel by car through. It was, it was a nightmare. And look at what it is now, one of the cheapest public transport and most efficient public transport in Europe. It's, they, they really turned the city around. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's talk about some of the projects and things that you're currently working on. 
We're working at different scales uh, at the smart infrastructure facility, uh, let's say precinct, uh, city and region. And you would tell me that as a good scientist, you, you should start small and, and then increase uh, your, your footprint. So start precinct and, and then uh, city and then region. Well, we did the reverse. We started with region. So something that's called now the, the regional digital living lab for the Ilawara. What happened two years ago, we decided that the Ilawara should become a smart region, but in a smart way. And when we started engaging with councils and some community groups and local industries, um, there was a little bit of angst in terms of being smart as quickly as possible, but at the same time, not knowing how to do it and worried about the investment costs associated with it. And so what the University of Wollongong decided, which is the only university in Australia who has done it so far, we didn't create our own little smart campus. We didn't even contribute only to a, a smart city like Wollongong. No, we, we decided to provide the whole region with a smart city network. So we chose one technology, LoRaWAN, for different technical reasons. And we, with industry partners, we deployed the whole network. So it means that the university owns, maintain and update the network for everyone. So for anyone living between Ellensburg, let's say, and Shell Harbor, you've got 90% chance to be covered by the network now, which means you can hook on any smart sensor monitoring stuff you've invented in your garage or in your small startup or SME or council, and you can test it for free. It's free to air and you can access your data with at no cost. Cool. I was just going to ask, um, for people that don't know what LoRaWAN is, some of our listeners might not know, can you just give a very brief 101? Okay, crash course in, in uh, IoT, Internet of Things, IoT. The concept was born out of a couple of telecommunication engineers working around the world on a wave band that is what we call non-licensed. So it's a non-commercial wave band uh, around the, the 900, 800, 900 megahertz. Uh, it means that everybody can use it and you don't have to be a, a telecommunication operator to use it and you can use it for free. So it's a reserve band, not commercial. It has, because it's 800, 900 uh, megahertz, it has one characteristic, which is as many advantages and one small disadvantage. So the advantage is that it's a low frequency. And for, if you remember some of your lessons in, uh, in physics, uh, low frequency waves, they are called long waves and the long waves uh, they are traveling very far first so it's it's a very long distance transmission which means you don't need many antennas to cover a given area a given city and at the same time it's low power because it's low frequency it doesn't need as much power to transmit very far so two very important characteristics in terms of, of cost efficiency now the little problem associated with that uh, is the fact that because it's a low frequency uh, wave, it transmits, it can transmit only small amount of, uh, of information compared with high frequency transmission like Wi-Fi or 4G and, and 5G later on. So it's travels far, it travels a bit slower, uh, and for smaller packet of information, which means that if you create sensors like temperature sensors sending every five minutes the temperature in a given area in uh, location in your city. So, you know, 23 degrees, 23 degrees, 23.5, 23.6. You don't need 5G to do that. And, and that's what 
the, the, the IoT has become. Now, the, the protocol you use to transmit information on this waveband, there have been a couple of protocols around the world so far. Let's mention only three for the sake of, of the clarity of the presentation. One that has been well known around the world uh, as Sigfox, French technology, um, represented here uh, by a, a, an Australian subsidiary. And they've got their own way of coding the information and sending it from your sensor to your antenna called the gateway and from the gateway to the cloud, for example, and from the cloud to your computer application. Uh, a competing protocol, which does exactly the same thing, but slightly differently, uh, is called LoRaWAN, long range and, and low power transmission. And there's a third one called narrowband IoT, but I won't go into details. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. I hope it was clear for everyone. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll, um, I'll let you keep going. So you talked about smart regions. Um, so you did that first. Yep. The next one was, uh, city level. You might have heard and, heard and some of the auditors might have heard about the smart pedestrian Liverpool, um, which is a project that is supported by the federal government through the smart city and suburb grant program. And uh, so Liverpool Council was awarded this grant last year and we were enough to be partners on this project. So in a nutshell, what it is about, it's for two objectives for this project, again, problem-oriented. First for Liverpool was to have an evidence-based planning for the revival, the refurbishment of their city center. We're talking, of course, Liverpool, uh, Western Sydney, not Liverpool, UK. And they wanted to know where the people were moving in the city now and how they're going to move in the future. And to do that, they wanted to have monitoring on what was going on now without being intrusive. So th this was the problem they have to solve and the constraints. Okay. And a second one, uh, which is a more longer term kind of uh, objective for the council was to think about the future of the, of Western Sydney and Badgery Creek Airport, Aerotropolis coming in and this, you know, million people uh, city, the Parkland city coming in at their doorstep. So to see what would be the influence, for example, of on air quality of, of all this development uh, around Liverpool. And so again, uh, adding air quality sensors in the city to know what was the, what is the exposure now for different pedestrians in the city, but in the future, see whether some parameters start uh, changing as there's more development around Liverpool. So that, that was the premises, the two objectives of the project. And what we've agreed to do first was to, back to my point about engaging people, was to have a, a community engagement series of workshops where we socialize the ideas, we introduce the idea of, of smart monitoring and, and how to monitor people in cities without being intrusive. And it was a very interesting uh, dialogue where people were uh, adding more ideas about how the CBD of, of Liverpool in particular should look like in the future and how, how they should use it better. And at the same time telling us, oh, if, if you're using visual sensors to look at mobility patterns, well, you should do, put them here and there. So at the end of each workshop, we had a map co-created with a participant. The second aspect we for the smart city deployment we negotiated, we discussed with the council was the necessity to go through a sandbox procurement process. So not buying things out of them from the shelves and installing them as quickly as possible to become smart, which I think is a dumb thing to do. And Liverpool Council people agreed with me, but trying things, prototyping things, giving us, giving us the time and the risk to prototype different technologies to see what would be the most appropriate for the problem at hand. 
And we ended up now with a prototype we're quite happy with and we start deploying. So that's something we've developed here at the Smart Infrastructure Facility with our group uh, at the Open IoT Hub. And this, this is a camera, but we don't call it a camera anymore. It's called a smart visual sensor. It captures, of course, frames, pictures of, of a, a crossroad or, or a given street or a precinct. But instead of sending this image to a control room like all councils have or police headquarters have, the whole image is treated at the level of the camera itself uh, through what's called, as you've probably heard about these terms, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So the camera itself is just detecting who's uh, a human being, who's a dog, who's a cat, uh, who's someone on a bicycle, what's a car, what's a truck, what's a bus, and just record all that in real time. And not only what it is, but where they go. Do they go left, right, up, down? And what the camera does is just send this information to the sensor. So now if you think about it, this seems some kind of trivial thing. Say, hey, well, why don't we do this before? What's happening for the moment is that CCTV networks in cities, they send real-time information, and only one person most of the time in the room can look at these pictures because they are faces of people and there's intrusion of privacy. And the only people who can exploit this information is, for example, police when they're searching for the bad guys. This is probably represent, depending on the suburb you, you live in, probably only 5% of the information content of all these images. Now with the new prototype we've created for Liverpool Council, the 95% remaining part of the information can be used by anyone because we're just sending data points that move around the city. In terms of planning, in terms of, you've got so many applications that uh, it, it, it is probably endless to, to, to try to list uh, how this information can be used now. So basically, we freed an information that was contained for very good reasons, so the Privacy Act and protecting our lives. Uh, now, all of a sudden, it's information that has been released again. And finally, at precinct level, we're becoming even more ambitious, and it's something that hasn't started yet. Um, but University of Wollongong and Lendlease, as one of the uh, big developers in this country, are um, still finalizing the, the details of a, a very ambitious project called the Health and Wellbeing Precinct on our innovation campus in North Wollongong. What it is about is to build an edge care facility which can be all integrated with a residential building, of course, but also a medical center, all integrated. But we want this to be part of our campus. So there will be also student accommodation, even the childcare. Why not a hotel for people visiting their relatives in the residence or bringing their family members to the medical center? And what we want this to be, for example, if you think about uh, elderly people in Australia, uh, we know that dementia is becoming a major issue for all of us. And we want to create something that has never been done yet in the world. So what's called a dementia-friendly precinct. They exist already. For example, Netherlands have very good examples of very dementia-friendly precincts, small villages where, where dementia sufferers, to a point, can still enjoy normal life of going to the shopping center, going to the hairdresser, going to a coffee shop, except there's no more money in this in this village. They're still in the habit of going from that place to another place, but there's no more uh, hassle of, of forgetting your wallet or, or not knowing how to pay things anymore. But the only constraint of this precinct so far, they are gated. So these people cannot get out from the precinct. So what we want to use smart technology for now in the context of the health and well-being precinct is to use this Internet of Things, this smart city concept for a non-gated dementia-friendly precinct. 
So what we're talking here are technologies like what we call geofencing. So imagine a, a non-intrusive, very small tag that some of dementia sufferers would wear and they would be free to roam to a point, uh, the precinct. And as soon as cross an invis invisible barrier that would be just defined by Internet of Things poles and sensors, the system would know that that person is, is moving across one of these boundaries and this person might be at risk of uh, you know, getting lost or getting injured or whatever. And in this case, instead of having two big guys with a, a white blouse uh, rushing on this person and dragging this person back to the medical center or the residential compound, what we have in mind, for example, is to use people around. So using crowdsourcing, which is a technology we, we've mastered pretty well here at the Smart Infrastructure Facility uh, in previous projects. So you send a message to mobile phones of people around saying, hey, we have detected that this person is probably moving across a boundary where she might not be safe anymore. So please, can you approach her or him gently and redirect this person to in the right direction? Or please stay with this person and wait for one of our personnel to come and approach her as well. This is the kind of thing we're talking about. Very interesting concept. Wow, it sounds like you are working on so much. I've realized that maybe people don't know um, about the facility. Can you explain a little bit about the Smart Infrastructure Facility? Yes, uh, thank you for asking the question. So the Smart Infrastructure Facility was funded in 2010 and, and opened uh, as a facility with a new building on the main campus of the University of Wollongong in February 2011. So it's, it's, we're still young. Uh, we, we, we're eight years, nearly eight years young, as I, I used to say. And so we're still learning by doing. And we, we have a mandate, we had a mandate at the start and we still have a mandate to look at infrastructure, hence the name, but not a specific infrastructure like water or electricity or roads, because there are already existing research centers in Australia on a specific infrastructure service. No, we, we have a mandate to look at all these networks and services from a holistic perspective and looking at the trade-offs and synergies between these different networks and services and their contribution to urban growth and regional development. So that's what we're about. So we're doing a lot of data analytics, a lot of advanced simulation. But more recently, so two years ago, we, we thought, okay, it's not just about analyzing data that others are giving us. We think there's a lot of research to be done and analyzed in creating these sensors, installing these sensors, sharing information with people and seeing how we can do better at transforming data into information and then information into what I tend to call actionable knowledge. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And I think you'll have a great answer to this next question. No pressure. Um, <laughs> how do you think we can better integrate across the different disciplines? So academia, disciplines, government and industry. I will have to put my marketing hat on and, and, and do my commercial spiel here. We've just heard last week that we were shortlisted as a national consortium, including industry, government agencies, local councils, and 10 universities around the country for submitting a, a final proposal for what's called in Australia the uh, cooperative research centers. Uh, and this one focusing on what we call future cities. So they're not only smart, these future cities we want to work on and, and find solution all together uh, have to be sustainable, livable, healthy, resilient, and eventually if they have to be smart. So that's the way I think we all need to get together 
and and work together and share information my my, my frustration for the moment in in the current landscape of smart cities in australia and i know that many colleagues from councils share this frustration is the fact that the market is really immature for two reasons on one side, we have a government or governments uh, at large who have been a bit reluctant at stepping in and imposing standards. I'm not even talking yet about regulation, but at least standards of how these things should work because they thought everybody was a bit taken aback because it, it happened so fast that to regroup. But now I think time is, is ripe to start stopping and, and for the government to act. And on the other side, why it's the market is immature is the fact that we still live in Australia in a market where some of the competitors providing these technologies and solutions still think they can kill each other. And so it's really the law of the jungle out there. So on one side, you've got a lack of standardization request. And on the other side, we still have a jungle rule. And in the middle, you've got potential clients like councils uh, who scratch their heads and don't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that particularly councils, it's very difficult to be an informed buyer in the current market, but that's so important and that's why that collaboration piece is so important. So then you have so many, um, or not so many, but you have the right people in the room that can actually help you make those proper decisions because we can all be fooled by marketing techniques or, you know, this is better than that or things that aren't interoperable so you're locked in. And I think that's a huge fear um, for government. And that's a, a reality as well that it can still happen even after having the right conversations. But it's something that we have to continue to be really vigilant on. Totally agree. Uh, you should come and work with us. Love to. <laughs> you point at something very important. I think the danger of technological lock-in has never been as high as it is now in Australia. We shouldn't be scared about it. We should be aware of it. And, and it's up to us collectively, industry, government and academia and, and users to have an educated discussion, communication about it. And I think that's where, that's a great force of Australia to be able to do that. When you think everything, everything is hopeless, people can sit down together and then they come up with solutions very fast. We've proven that in the past. And this is what this Cooperative Research Center bid is about. Try to, yeah, okay, we've messed up a little bit at the start. Yeah, okay, we, we've lost a couple of years doing bits and pieces everywhere without much coordination and without being able to learn lessons. Uh, but I th it's not too late. And, and I think if, if this comes up, we're going to have a fantastic uh, springboard to project Australian cities as the smartest cities uh, around the world. Awesome. Okay, so I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on this next question. What do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough? I will, I will talk about things uh, the smart infrastructure facility at large and myself in particular uh, would like to talk more about. So it's going to be a very biased and narrow answer to your much broader question. First thing uh, you mentioned already, interoperability of smart cities. We we are in a position for the moment where, again, if you buy a, a LoRaWAN-supported solution or a Sigfox-supported solution or a narrowband IoT-supported uh, solution, if you buy air quality sensors from one manufacturer or from another and you have a dashboard that's supposed to provide solution for your specific project, there's a great chance that next time you're going to buy your sensors or a new solution or a new dashboard, it won't be able to talk to the one you've bought already. And we, we know how to do that. We know how to make it a plain field. This is what the telecommunication industry 
as done with mobile phones. Now, I think when you use your mobile phone anywhere in the world, it works. It doesn't work by magic. It works because many, many people for many years have been working on a standard called 3GPP. And 3GPP means simply, in plain English, I can use my mobile phone wherever I am in the world. So we, we've got a template. It's going to be more complicated because Internet of Things, these things can be anything. So yes, it's going to be more complicated. There are still already people, including the industry around the world, working on it. And my, my wish is that Australia becomes the forefront of this interoperability and standardization of the Internet of Things, because I think we've got a lot of capability in this country to do it. And we're small and big enough at the same time for it to work here probably faster than anywhere else. The second aspect that's only coming up now is around, obviously, security of these networks. So we're all talking about cybersecurity, but the way we do research on cybersecurity so far and the way we implement projects are still focusing on traditional communication, so attacks on your banking systems and or the Google or the Facebook databases. Okay, so that's what I call the good old traditional internet. What we're talking now with the smart cities is the concept of cyberstorm, where through malvolent intention, intentional behavior like hacking, all these sensors which are smart. So they're, they're, there's a little bit of a computer in there, but more importantly, the, the, the antennas, the gateways, they're very smart. They're doing a lot of work. You can penetrate networks through the cloud and through the backend applications and do massive damage. That's the dark side of the smart city. A more conventional type of attack, I think, uh, that we have to realize is that when these smart cities, like, you know, a, a, a smart traffic control system will be implemented more generally. If you've got a typhoon, uh, like we've heard in a couple of parts of the world recently, or an earthquake, and your network starts crumbling down, what will be the consequences in terms of operations and control of your city? So we're creating, on one side, a more productive and more efficient city. At the same time, we have to be careful of whether this city is still resilient. Yeah, I agree. I think resilience definitely needs to be part of smart city. So these are my two topics. I, I'd like to talk more to all my colleagues and everybody interested uh, in coming weeks and months and years, uh, interoperability and, and cybersecurity in the context of cyberstorms. Excellent. Well, it has been so great to speak with you, Pascal. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It has been a real pleasure. Excellent. I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Oh, um, you can use uh, my email, pascal, P-A-S-C-A-L, at uw.edu.au. Excellent. I will put the links in the show notes um, so people can connect with you there. Thanks again for coming on. No problem. Thank you. I look forward to talking again soon. No problem. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at SmartComPod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it.
Community Podcast is what you're looking for.